you know. So you're probably thinking, what the fuck is this? Allow me to explain. Bloke in a suit news. Just talk about, maybe I'll just talk about that for a second so that we understand what's going on there because clearly I'm not wearing a suit. Um, when, you, when you abbreviate bloke in a suit, it spells bias, which most of the news is. But really, that was actually just an accident. Um, I'm just referring to, well, this like alternative media ecosystem of just random dudes in suits just talking absolute nonsense and people just believing it because there's a, just a bloke in a suit in an official-looking setting in front of a green screen or whatever. Um, so that's all that is. Don't take it literally and be like, I just don't understand. She's not wearing a suit. Um, you know, I don't need to wear a suit because it's in the name. Yeah, got a suit on in my name. <laughs> so I set up this uh, this Facebook page about uh, about four or so months ago uh, as a bit of a placeholder, um, a place where I could try and build up a bunch of followers that. Uh, we're in the sort of same uh, headspace with things uh, as me through, you know, just putting memes out there and whatever and then use use the page once I've uh, collated um, everything I need to to uh, present uh, the findings from about nine months worth of uh, research that I've been doing uh, relating to the information sort of landscape in uh, in this country, um, all different sort of layers on it, and how uh, how I've observed that it's being manipulated by uh, anonymous actors, um, and then I want to sort of you know explore who those actors are and where they come from and all this kind of stuff. And I've uh, I've tried very hard um, for a long time to sort of put you know, different things together like clips or something you know laying this stuff out in a digestible kind of format but the problem with this thing is it's constantly evolving and I'm constantly learning new things and things I have to add and it just gets too bloody complicated and it's not sort of something I can just sit here and talk about um, like this because there's many layers to this and, and you can you can explain the surface layer but then for that to mean anything you have to explain why and then and then, and then why that it just gets complicated right and it's not something that you can really do like that so I'm kind of biting the bullet and I'm just saying you know fuck it I'm just going to turn this camera on and see what I can do so I'm going to try and do this um, you know semi-regularly uh, every, every sort of like week or two and talk about this stuff and initially um, it's going to be me just laying out a bunch of information, just uh, just trying to sort of inform uh, you know people on the different aspects of of uh, of th- this whole thing, and then uh, and then once we're all on the same page, then we can just you know it can sort of be a we can keep an eye on things. I know it still sounds kind of confusing. I've been looking for the words to um, sum this up. But I've been struggling to write something myself. I came across this article. And it's called The Manufacturing of a Mass Psychosis. Can sanity return to an insane world? It's a video, but they've transcribed it on here. So <clears throat> I thought I'll read it out because it's sort of... Uh, you'll understand where I'm coming from once you read this. Now, a bit of a disclaimer first, though. 
I don't know that the person who wrote this meant it in the way that I do. So if it sounds like I'm, uh, you know, one of the Trump people, um, easiest way to describe him, then just, um, you know, uh, bear with me. So I pre-recorded some loops to play around with whilst I read this for dramatic effect. So we start off with a quote from a man named Gustav Le Bon <clears throat> and from his book, The Crowd, A Study of the Popular Mind. Quote, The masses have never thirsted after truth. They turn aside from evidence that is not to their taste, preferring to deify error if error seduced them. Whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master. Whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim. End quote. <clears throat> diseases of the body can spread through a population and reach epidemic proportions, but so too can diseases of the mind. And of these epidemics of the latter variety, the mass psychosis is the most dangerous. During a mass psychosis, madness becomes the norm in a society and delusionary beliefs spread like a contagion. But as delusions can take many forms and as madness can manifest in countless ways, the specific manner in which a mass psychosis unfolds would differ based on the historical and cultural context of the infected society. In the past, mass psychosis have led to witch hunts, genocides and even dancing manias, but in the modern era, it is the mass psychosis of totalitarianism that is the greatest threat. Quote, totalitarianism is the modern phenomena of total centralized state power coupled with the obliteration of individual human rights. In the totalized state, there are those in power and there are the objectified masses, the victims. In a totalitarian society, the population is always divided into two groups, the rulers and the ruled. Both groups undergo a pathological transformation. The rulers are elevated to an almost godlike status which is diametrically opposed to our nature as imperfect beings who are easily corrupted by power. The masses, on the other hand, are transformed into the dependent subjects of these pathological rulers and take on a psychologically regressed and childlike status. Hannah Arendt, one of the 20th century's preeminent scholars of this form of rule, called totalitarianism an attempted transformation of human nature itself. This attempted transformation only turns sound minds into sick minds. As for the Dutch medical doctor who studied the mental effects of living under totalitarianism wrote, quote, there is in fact much that is comparable between the strange reactions of the citizens of totalitarianism and their culture as a whole on one hand and the reactions of the sick schizophrenic on the other, end quote. social transformation that unfolds under totalitarianism is built upon and sustained by delusions. For only deluded men and women regress to the childlike status of obedient and submissive subjects and hand over complete control of their lives to politicians and bureaucrats. Only a deluded ruling class will believe that they possess the knowledge, wisdom and acumen to completely control society in the top-down matter. And only when the spell of delusion would anyone believe that a society, only when under the spell of delusion would anyone believe that a society composed of power-hungry rulers on the one hand and a psychologically regressed 
population on the other will lead to anything other than mass suffering and social ruin. But what triggers the psychosis of totalitarianism? As was explored in the previous video of the series, the mass psychosis of totalitarianism begins in a society's ruling class. The individuals that make up this class, be it politicians, bureaucrats or crony capitalists, are very prone to delusions that augment their power, and no delusion is more attractive to the power-hungry than the delusion that they can and should control and dominate a society. When a ruling elite becomes possessed by a political ideology of this sort, be it communism, fascism or technocracy, the next step is to induce a population into accepting their rule by infecting them with the mass psychosis of totalitarianism. This psychosis has been induced many times throughout history, and as Milu explains, it is simply a question of reorganising and manipulating collective feelings in the proper way. The general method by which the members of the ruling elite can accomplish this is called menticide, with the etymology of this word being killing of the mind. And as Milu further explains, menticide is an old crime against the human minded spirit but systemized anew. It is an organized system of psychological intervention and judicial perversion through which a ruling class can imprint their own opportunistic thoughts on the minds of those they plan to use and destroy. Priming a population for the crime of menticide begins with the sowing of fear. For as was explored in the first video of this series, when an individual is flooded with negative emotions such as fear or anxiety, he or she is very susceptible to a descent into the delusions of madness. Threats real, imagined, fabricated can be used to sow fear, but a particularly effective technique is to use waves of terror. Under this technique, the sowing of fear is staggered with periods of calm, but each of these periods of calm is followed by the manufacturing of an even more intense spell of fear, and on and on the process goes. Or as Milu writes, each wave of terrorizing creates more creates its effects more easily after a breathing spell than the one that preceded it because the people are still disturbed by their previous experience. Morality becomes lower and lower and the psychological effects of each new propaganda campaign become stronger, reaches the public already softened up. While fear primes a population for menticide, the use of propaganda to spread misinformation and to promote confusion with respect to the source of the threats and the nature of the crisis helps to break down the minds of the masses. Government officials and their lackeys in the media can use contradictory reports, nonsensical information and even blatant lies as the more they confuse, the less capable will a population be to cope with the crisis and diminish their fear in a rational and adaptive manner. Confusion, in other words, heightens the susceptibility of a descent into the delusions of totalitarianism. <clears throat> or as Milo explains, logic can be met with logic, while a logic cannot. It confuses those who think straight. The big lie and monotonously repeated nonsense have more emotional appeal than logic and reason. While the people are still searching for a reasonable counter-argument to the first lie, the totalitarians can assault them with another. Never before in history has such an effective means existed to manipulate society into the psychosis of totalitarianism. Smartphones and social media, television and the internet, 
all in conjunction with algorithms that quickly censor the flow of unwanted information, allow those in power to easily assault the minds of the masses. What is more, the addictive nature of these technologies means that many people voluntarily subject themselves to the ruling elite's propaganda with a remarkable frequency. Modern technology teaches man to take for granted the world he's looking at. He takes no time to retreat and reflect. Technology lures him on, dropping him onto its wheels and movements. No rest, no meditation, no reflection, no conversation. The senses are continually overloaded with stimuli. Man doesn't learn to question his world anymore. The screen offers him answers ready-made. There is a further step that would-be totalitarian rulers can take to increase the chance of a totalitarian psychosis, and this is to isolate the victims and disrupt normal social interactions. When alone and lacking normal interactions with friends, family and co-workers, an individual becomes far more susceptible to delusions for several reasons. Firstly, they lose contact with the corrective force of the positive example. For not everyone is tricked by the mechanisms of the ruling elite and the individuals who see through the propaganda can help free others from the menticidal assault. If, however, isolation is enforced, the power of these positive examples greatly diminishes. But another reason that isolation increases the efficacy of menticide is because like many other species, human beings are more easily conditioned into new patterns of thought and behaviour when isolated. Alone, confused, battered by waves of terror, population under an attack of menticide descends into a hopeless and vulnerable state. The never-ending stream of propaganda turns minds once capable of rational thought into playhouses of irrational forces, and with chaos swirling around them and within them, the masses crave a return to a more ordered world. The would-be totalitarians can now take the decisive step. They can offer a way out and a return to order in a world that seems to be moving rapidly in the opposite direction. But all this comes at a price. The masses must give up their freedom and seek control of all aspects of life to the ruling elite. They must relinquish their capacity to be self-reliant individuals who are responsible for their own lives and become submissive and obedient subjects. The masses, in other words, must descend into the delusions of a totalitarian psychosis. <clears throat> Quote, totalitarianism is a man's escape from the fearful realities of life into the virtual womb of the leaders. The individual's actions are directed from this womb, from the inner sanctum. Man need no longer assume responsibility for his own life. The order of logic, the order and logic of the prenatal world reign. There is peace and silence, the peace of utter submission. But the order of a totalitarian world is a pathological order. By enforcing a strict conformity and requiring a blind obedience from the citizenry, totalitarianism rids the world of the spontaneity that provides many of life's joys and the creativity that drives society forward. 
The total control of this form of rule, no matter under what name it is branded, be it rule by scientists and doctors, politicians and bureaucrats, or a dictator, breeds stagnation, destruction, and death on a mass scale. And so perhaps the most important question facing the world is how can totalitarianism be prevented? And if a society has been induced into the early stages of this mass psychosis, can the effects be reversed? But it certainly rings true to what's happening right now. There's a comment on the uh, on the original YouTube clip that I think sums it up pretty well. It says the worst part is that those engaging in mass psychosis are deluded to think they're fighting against it, and that's pretty much where we're at. So how do you neutralize this? Well, the only way that you can neutralize it is if you recognize what it is and you understand where it comes from. Because without that, then your guess is as good as the guy next year's. You know, if you're, if you're, I mean, you're relying on, on finding resources that, that contain facts. Well, if there's other resources out there that contain alternate facts without the understanding um, of, of where things come from and, and what it is, then, uh, then, then you, you, just, you just lost. You just fight going off feeling like I was for so long. You know, I know this is wrong. You're just hitting me with so many things that I don't even know how to process it or come back to any of it. So, like I said, there's multiple, multiple fronts <clears throat> in this whole thing. You've got the online space, the, um, the public square, as they call it, Twitter and Facebook predominantly, Reddit and 4chan at times. You've also got multiple forces at play. You know, you've got, um, we've got election campaigning where a lot of stuff comes from because obviously in this country it's, uh, it's, perfectly legal to just blatantly lie um, in an election campaign, actually illegal to lie in an advertisement with an exemption for politicians. So when you consider that uh, the ideal uh, time spent on an election campaign, you know, put forward by these companies that run it is two years and we work in three-year blocks, then you're pretty much just talking a constant election campaign of misinformation. Then you've got so the business interests and and you know your big money business interests like your your um, your mining companies and all that kind of stuff and you've got the different fronts there you've got the think tanks where the politics and them converge and they work hand in hand to spread um, you know false information <clears throat> to support their interests you've got um, where those worlds collide as well as Clive Palmer who has a lot to do with it or had a lot to do with it in two elections. And then you've got um, foreign foreign countries. Now, the whole Russian interference thing um, with America and then with Brexit as well, um, they ruled, they found that the Russians interfered in the Brexit uh, thing too. Now, do the Russians actually do this? Yes, they do. But no, it was... Definitely the Conservative Party in the UK, and it was definitely the Trump campaign in America 
that uh, did most of the stuff that was labelled as Russian disinformation or were doing exactly the same things, probably uh, better. Although the Russians did do pretty good. You know, like they they planted people in America like four years before the election to build a network of friends and influence and build le- legitimate, you know, Facebook profiles, Twitter profiles, you know, fitness, uh, Instagram, fitness pages and stuff like that and build up thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and then come election time, turn into a full Trump guy. Um, I mean, they did it, they did it well, but I think it, you have to look, uh, you can look, you can sort of tell whether some, where, where the information's coming from. If you can, uh, if you can, decipher the motive behind uh, what's being said, which is why most of the disinformation here in Australia doesn't come from China or Russia. It comes from our own government or their donors. And uh, and you can tell because it's all just leading you to vote liberal. Now, why would the Chinese or the Russians want to convince everyone to vote liberal? They wouldn't. Um, I do know that uh, the whole 5G thing, coronavirus, you know, was caused by 5G. Remember that whole that whole hysteria? People were, like, burning down 5G towers before they had a chance to turn them on. Uh, I mean, I would say that that was, I mean, it could have been the Chinese because obviously the countries that that mostly was pushed in had just uh, just um, cancelled their deals with uh, Huawei to do the 5G system. So that would make sense, that being a Chinese thing, because obviously, you know, they want to ruin, ruin the other company's 5G infrastructure. <clears throat> um, that makes sense. Uh, anti-lockdown stuff, not so much. Um, because as 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 I'll show you over the sometime over the next few episodes, or once we've sort of uh, got our, got across some stuff, that uh, <laughs> it's very much not uh, definitely not coming from China. Um, but yeah, so there's a few layers to this. So you, there's the online stuff, and then you've got the alternate that sort of works hand in hand with the this sort of alternative media landscape that's popped up over the last four or five years. And you probably, um, you know, even if you're not uh, a conservative or follow any sort of like conservative-themed things, pages or people or whatever, um, you probably know a few of the American ones. So, and this was sort of something that was was bubbling up um, pretty much just like Breitbart News through like 2013, 2014, 2015, when they got uh, Milo Yiannopoulos in and he was sort of all like um, the flavour of the week for a bit until he until he started voicing his support for pedophiles in a, in a weird, weird, uh, weird choice of uh, cause to hang your hat on. Um but it sort of started with that and, uh, and you know, coming out of like 4chan, all those Pepe the Frog memes and all this kind of stuff sort of 
sparked off this uh, rise of the alt-right, which uh, culminated in the rise of the alternate right-wing media. So people like Ben Shapiro and people like Candace Owens, all these kind of people that popped up around like 2015, 2016 and, and were mad um, Trump fans and uh, and this whole sort of like conservative information landscape, alternate, alternate media landscape sort of popped up. And uh, the same thing happened here, though, a bit on a bit of a delay. There was a bit of it, um, but around 2018, 2019, and then, and then into 2020, um, the ecosystem sort of uh, cemented itself. And there's a whole parallel uh, reality going on of like, you know, you've got like not Q&A and you've got the People's Project and, uh, and you know, all these sort of like takeoffs of, of, um, of the liberal media, but, uh, but without the liberal fake news that apparently is a thing. Right. Um, and you wouldn't even realise this ecosystem exists unless you were in the echo chamber. So it's just kind of this, uh, this reality that's popped up you know, next to us. And, uh, and that feeds the Facebook. And then cementing that stuff is the uh, traditional media landscape. So they allude to things or they sometimes they just falsely report or, or way sensationalise um, stuff. <clears throat> and it lends credibility to this alternate media and then you've got your Facebook, Twitter, some people call them bots, typically not bots, just people um, or, you know, fake accounts run by marketing companies, right, who who spread this word around and give the illusion of, uh, you know, chatter between people, <clears throat> And we'll do another deep dive on what this stuff is and where it comes from and, and how it works and, and blah, blah, blah. But we do know that the Liberal Party themselves use fake Facebook accounts to do that same thing. You know, and this is not really a secret. And they, each time it sort of comes out, everyone just acts like it's a, a one-off thing and he's a rogue, a rogue politician sort of gets a slap on the wrist and then, you know, six months later, another one comes out doing a similar thing. I think it's safe to presume at this point that every politician in the Liberal Party <clears throat> has a whole bunch of fake accounts that they are, that they use to uh, fake support. All right, this is from The Verge. Facebook loophole is allowing politicians around the world to fake support and criticise opponents. Autocrats and corrupt regimes are creating networks of fake activity. Governments and politicians around the world are using a loophole in how Facebook policies inauthentic, polices inauthentic activity to fake popular support and harass opponents. An investigation from The Guardian based on internal documents and the testimony of a former Facebook data scientist, Sophie Zhang, shows how the company selectively chooses to take action on this activity. Facebook moves swiftly to deal with coordinated campaigns to sway politics in wealthy countries like the US, South Korea, Taiwan, 
while it depoliticizes or simply ignores reports of similar activity in poorer nations like Afghanistan, Iraq, Mexico, and much of Latin America. There's a lot of harm being done on Facebook that is not being responded to because it is not considered enough of a PR risk to Facebook, saying told The Guardian. The cost isn't borne by Facebook, it's borne by the broader world as a whole. The loophole concerns the use of pages to create fake supporters used by governments to appear popular and criticise opponents. Although Facebook bans people from operating more than one account, any individual can create multiple pages with similar results. Pages are usually tied to represent, usually used to represent businesses, charities, not-profits and other organisations, but can easily be changed to look like an individual account. And this is just an example of it happening in another country. Zhang was fired by Facebook in September 2020 for poor performance. In a memo she shared on her final day, she described how she'd found multiple blatant attempts by foreign national governments to abuse her platform on vast scales to mislead their own citizenry. When she reported the networks to her managers, Facebook's response was inconsistent. The company was slow in responding to some reports, took nearly a year to remove the Honduras network and 14 months to take down the Azerbaijan campaign, and ignored others that she found. And we got, and I'll put this picture, uh, we got the, you know, Angus Taylor's famous reply to himself for getting to switch accounts, giving himself a pat on the back. Um, caught one, uh, caught Jeff Kennett doing the same thing while we were in lockdown, writing this post about how we should be open, we should open up and uh, and all this stuff and having a go at Dan Andrews. And then first comment himself, Jeff Kennett, replying to Jeff Kennett, agreed. If I can find it, I'll, try, I'll slap it up here in post-production. But, uh, you know, this happens. It's kind of recent, but it's not It's not that recent. It's been a few years now. I think looking at it on face value just from what's reported in the media, I think it goes back to 2013, right, and the uh, election between Kevin Rudd and Tony Abbott. There was this incident in the lead-up to the... Um, the election that year, right, where Tony Abbott, so Kevin Rudd had over a million Twitter followers. Tony Abbott was sitting on <clears throat> 120,000. And then people started to notice over the course of a couple of days, his followers got up to about 210,000. So gained about 90,000 um, followers very quickly and this was pointed out and the liberals denied it uh vehemently so here's my read on the situation right someone like get up or just someone just doing it for the fuck of it has paid for followers for tony abbott the uh the just for lack of a better term the left sort of dominate to the online space up until that point and I think this was a real turning point for them. This was either this was either them dipping their toes in with manipulating the online presence and buying followers for Tony Abbott very naively. I think no one would notice. And uh, or this is someone playing a prank, and it's kind of snapped them into line, and they've thought, all right, we need to focus on this a bit more. I think there was a few other influences which we'll touch on at a later date, but I think. Uh, once they sort of discovered the the power of uh, 
using anonymous um, profiles to feign support for their policies and whatever. Um, got a bit drunk with power, I would think. The 24-hour meme machine. This is recent, so this is from this is from after the um, after the 2020 election. So the 24-hour meme machine. What the U.S. election can teach Australia about digital campaigning. Labor and the coalition will need to find ways to stop conspiracy theories and fake news bleeding into audiences critical to election success. Digital experts are warning that the next federal election will push online campaigning to a much darker place, where communities will be deliberately divided as alternate alternative facts become the stock in trade of political warriors. The major parties in Australia are studying the US 2020 presidential campaign as part of their preparations. If the US campaign is anything to go by, the battle to persuade voters will be largely fought in the digital worlds that people increasingly inhabit. Since the election, Trump and his surrogates have used social media to reinforce his public assertions of widespread voter fraud, despite there being <clears throat> no credible evidence and multiple courts reject rejecting so-called evidence of such fraud. Their efforts have had a profound impact. A Fox News poll released in mid-December found that 77% of those who cast ballots for Trump thought the election had been stolen from him. Elections are always a battle of competing narratives, but in a digital world where people inhabit their own filter bubbles and algorithms serve up news that reinforces that worldview, the problem for political campaigners becomes much more difficult to address. The first task is to identify which groups of voters are being misled, says Copper. Then it's a matter of giving them information to counter the misinformation. Copper says conventional fact-checking or trying to negate the information doesn't work. It just reinforces the negative message. The Biden campaign adopted a strategy of using paid digital advertising and bought real estate directly in the feeds of groups they believe that were being targeted with misinformation, either by the White House directly or by sympathetic third parties, he said. Of course, US campaigns have billions of dollars at their disposal to buy advertising on social media platforms and Australian political parties have much less to spend. Australia also has no laws that require truth in political advertising, so campaigns such as the one on Labor's death taxes in 2019 can be hard to derail. However, Copper says that the wake of the US experience, the social media platforms are now hypersensitive to the proliferation of fake accounts that can be used to jumpstart trending hashtags into wherever and to <clears throat> whether they are becoming the purveyors of fake news. The first step is to get them to act. Political parties will need to have teams to monitor what's happening. It may not be possible to persuade some people who are deep in their filter bubbles, but the parties will need to be vigilant to stop conspiracy theories and fake news bleeding into audiences critical to electoral success. Taking into consideration that the ideal time to run an election campaign is two years, we have an election coming up at the absolute latest in 12 months. This here is already well underway. And I'm not just talking, let's just touch on that quickly for a second. So, I mean, everyone who, anyone in Melbourne will have noticed the prominence of conspiracy theories uh, during the lockdowns last year with all those protests and everything. Have you wondered why? It just seemed to be a conglomeration of conspiracy theorists. Because I really wondered why. Because back... So I I came of, of voting age 
My first uh, election was the 2007 uh, election between Howard and Rudd, right? Now, I, I voted for Rudd because I was, you know, we just come off the back of like we're in Iraq at that point, Afghanistan, there's all the bullshit we were lied to about the weapons of mass destruction and everyone was just over the propaganda and the lies from from the liberals and me very much so as well. And uh, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of other people in my sort of age bracket did the, the same thing, but... 9-11 was, was weird and there was questions and this whole sort of like conspiracy um, ecosystem popped up and it was very non-partisan. Um, it was a very anti-right wing initially because it was the right wing governments that sent us to war in the first place, but it wasn't, it wasn't exactly left wing. Um, it was very non-partisan and, and that sort of, that sort of conspiracy, um, you know, echo chamber, <laughs> ecosphere, maybe a better way to put it, sort of evolved and, and uh, sort of became its own thing and, you know, Alex Jones rose to prominence and, uh, you know, those zeitgeist movies and all this stuff, right? Over time after that, the conspiracy movement was uh, sort of turned... it. <laughs> It turned into this non-partisan thing. It was like left, right, they're all the same. That was very much the sentiment. It's like it doesn't matter. They're both the same thing at the end of the day. It's still, you know, you might get rid of the party, but the whole bureaucracy is always there and always ticking away. So somewhere along the line, the whole conspiracy world turned from this non-partisan or non-specific, um, non-political, just anti-political um, thing to to just all of a sudden being anti-left-wing and, you know, demonising. The thing that always, that always got me about it is that, I mean, especially like these last couple of years or since Trump is like this whole thing with like, you know, Hillary Clinton and whatever and then sort of merges, you know, some of the usual suspects in there. But then, you know, George Soros came into it somehow. Um, actually, George Soros' uh, conspiracy theories were first, um, first floated on Fox News. How's that? Um, before the whole Hungary stuff happened, if anyone's familiar with that. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden, uh, George Soros is is a big, I mean, he's one of these think tank guys that we'll, we'll get to uh, eventually, <clears throat> but he's very supportive of left-wing um, causes. A lot of his foundations and stuff he's set up that he puts a lot of money um, into is fighting for, like, Black Lives Matter, Um or, you know, he has a, uh, a weed, ending weed prohibition um, foundation thing and all sort of traditional, like, what you would call left-wing causes. 
and all of a sudden he's this big like demon head of the fucking Illuminati or whatever the hell they want to call him. Um, Illuminati, by the way, as well was uh, was a real thing in the seventeen hundreds and earlier. Um, I believe it predated the Freemasons. Might have been alongside them a little bit. Um, there might have been some crossover there, but they were separate people. But that died out a long time ago. Just, just one of those these names that sort of just gets attributed to things. Um, but I digress. But what bugged me the most about this, right, is like there's, you will not get a conspiracy theory anywhere in in any of this uh, this conspiracy ecosystem that mentions the name Rupert Murdoch. Uh, you, you won't hear a conspiracy theory that talks about the Koch brothers. You won't hear a conspiracy theory or anything that talks about the Mercers. These people, I mean, really, if you if you were looking for a bunch of people that are conspiring behind closed doors to... Um, uh, manipulate society through nefarious means. Well, those three names there are, are like the go-tos. They're, they're the ones that that are documented and actively actually doing this shit. <clears throat> but uh, but no, so that started to get me. And then when I saw these uh, these protests happening while we were in lockdown. I, and all just these different conspiracy theories converging. I, I sort of had a bit of a light bulb moment and I thought, so our elections, right, every election, I mean, it, it might look like on paper like Labor gets obliterated, especially in the last like 30 years or whatever. But it's not really like that. It's Every election is so close, super close, that... It's not so much uh, – this is why coal, I think, is such an, an issue. I mean, take the the money, <clears throat> the think tanks and the, the propaganda <clears throat> out of it. But I think the reason why coal becomes such a, a contested issue in elections in, you know, places like the Hunter Valley and, and Queensland and whatever is because these elections are fought on the, on the barest of margins. So – well, the coal industry might not employ that many people. If you can convince one whole seat or or, or a, a conglomerate of uh, of different mining seats <clears throat> that the other party is going to potentially shut down their industry or, or or you know do whatever to their jobs, well, that's an election winning argument if you can convince them because. It's just a small segment of the population, but the elections are fought on such bare margins that that can shift it and does shift it. <clears throat> right. So you're always going to have a percentage of people in society that don't listen to the media, <clears throat> don't trust the media, but will listen to some random dude on YouTube just telling them, you know, some crazy fantastical shit, Right. So if you target those people, well, there's your coal. There's, there's your there's your coal potentially more than you than your uh, coal people. 
now voting for you because some random person told them that the other side is evil. So I wanted to explore that, and I did, and we'll go way deeper on that another time. Back to the fake Facebook accounts. So that was the 2013 election. Now, in the 2016 election, they stepped it up with the, uh, you know, creating fake fake people to give create the illusion of, of fake support. And I guess, um, <clears throat> I guess you could think of this as like a proto... Proto Facebook troll, maybe, or maybe not. Let me get this right. Mr. Shorten wants to go to war with my bank. He wants to go to war with our miners. Bill Shorten even wants to go to war with someone like me. He just wants to get ahead through an investment property. Well, I'll tell you what happens when you get a war going on the economy. People like me lose their jobs. So I reckon we should just see it through and stick with the current mob for a while. Authorised T-Nut, Liberal Party. So, the fake trading. Remember the fake trading? <clears throat> Who turns out um, wasn't a fake. Wasn't a fake at all. In fact, the, uh, the Daily Mail was bang on it with, uh, with this exclusive... All my mates are laughing at me. We find the fake tradie from the election ad, and he's a real welder who drives a Commodore Ute and lives in a modest house on a main road. The fake tradie's a real tradesman in Sydney's North Shore. He said his friends thought it was hilarious and were all laughing. He featured in the Liberal Party ad wearing high-vis. He said Bill Shorten wanted to go to war with everyone. Fake tradie trended after the advertisement was aired on Sunday night. Twitter and unions wrongly accused voiceover artist of being fake tradie. And then uh, the, he uh, unfortunately signed a uh, non-disclosure agreement, so he couldn't talk, but they spoke to his friend who agreed that the advertisement did look fake. He does something in the voice and they've dressed him up. He, he doesn't normally dress like that. It looks very fake. It's a TV shoot, you know. It's not a real situation. He said he had no idea whether Mr. McRae owned an investment property, as was mentioned in the advertisement, but said, I doubt it. Mr. McRae has been the owner of a sole trading company called Teamwork Maintenance for 20 years and is a licensed metal fabricator. He finished a welding course in 2012 and in the 90s he worked as a mechanical supervisor for the condiments company Masterfood. So, case settled. Oh yeah, in addition to working in metal by trade, Mr. McRae also has connections to the real estate industry. Which actually, uh, he's actually a property developer. And so, he gave up his... Uh, Trading roots, and that there is the perfect example of an early form of, of what I'm talking about, where the uh, the media is working hand in hand with the Liberal Party to lend credence um, to their bullshit and uh, lend give it give it some kind of credibility, even though you know it is the Daily Mail, but. It all was downhill from there. 2019 elections come along. And uh, is this this can liberal candidate, Port Stevens. So this is the lead up to the 2019 election. This is Morrison's, uh, Morrison's miracle election. 
as it's been called. Now, I've read, uh, I've read uh, <laughs> most things that have been written about the 2019 election. Um, so Samantha Maiden released a, a book called Party Animals, which is uh, her in-depth breakdown of the 2019 election and, uh, and how Labor lost. Um, there was uh, Morrison's Miracle, which was a report on the election done by a, a university somewhere, I forget which one. Um, and then all the commentary around the place. None of these uh, official summaries of the election mention any of this stuff. But in 2019, all this stuff sort of seemed to come out. So I guess what was a bit of a niche, uh, a niche thing using these fake accounts, um, I'm guessing that as Morrison's mandate leading into the election, that this is something that they should do. Because um, something I mentioned uh, previously on this channel is that Scott Morrison is, and I'm going to keep mentioning this because it's important, Scott Morrison is a campaigner. He joined the Liberal Party to work on election campaigns. He joined the Liberal Party as the, uh, the director, uh, the state uh, director for the New South Wales branch of the Liberal Party. He joined in the year 2000, and his first big job with the Liberals was the 2001 election. Uh, I saw a, a post today about this um, Scott Morrison banning these flights from India I saw someone call it uh, his Tampa moment, and uh, and I thought that's funny because the Tampa affair was his Tampa moment because he was very much involved in that. He was cutting his teeth on running campaigns, working with Linton Crosby and Matt Texter. Um, this was their last election they worked on before they formed Crosby Texter. So this was these two and Scott Morrison working on. Um, possibly the most notorious election campaign in our country's history, the Tampa Affair. So I, there's no doubt in my mind that this is probably at his direction, but then obviously, you know, the people that run their campaigns also do this stuff. So whether it's, you know, from one or from two or from both or independently, they're both doing it, whatever. But the 2019 election seems to be where, where it exploded, so... You know, we've got this Port Stevens Liberal candidate, Jamie Abbott, linked to trolling from face fake fake from face Facebook accounts. From fake Facebook accounts. A New South Wales Liberal Party candidate has had her personal Facebook account suspended after it was linked to fake accounts that trolled her opponent. Sitting Labour MP for Port Stevens, Kate Washington, last week claimed that for the past six months, fake Facebook accounts have been deriding her, but praising her liberal rival, Jamie Abbott. The Liberal Party last week denied involvement, but yesterday conceded Facebook suspended Miss Abbott's account as well as the account of parliamentary staffer Tasman Brown. Miss Brown works for Liberal MLC Catherine Cusack. Miss Washington said Miss Abbott should be disendorsed for what she said were dirty tactics. They thought they could get away with it, she told the ABC. Jamie Abbott needs to come clean on her role in the coordinated campaign to smear me and my credibility on Facebook. She's proven herself unsuited to sit in Parliament, and I think the appropriate thing for her to do at this point is to stand aside. Failing that, the Premier should have her disendorsed. There's a example. Liberal Party's denied Miss Abbott had any knowledge of the fake Facebook accounts and is blaming Miss Brown. Miss Abbott told the ABC she was deeply saddened about the incident and felt many were misled. 
Elections should be a contest of ideas rather than a race for likes on social media, and I think Tasman Brown forgot about this, she said. Bullshit. Tasman has admitted to me that as a volunteer on my campaign, he was responsible for making multiple Facebook posts about the campaign under a number of names. Well, there you go. So that there says that he was instructed to do it as part of the campaign, doesn't it? Liberal candidate said she had called Miss Washington to apologise on behalf of her campaign and assured her that Mr Brown would have no further involvement in it. I intend to focus on continuing to campaign on issues that are important to this community. Opposition leader Michael Daly said the trolling was a new low in Australian politics. This is Putin-style politics in Australia. Not acceptable, and I think that's the position of the Premier's candidate in Port Stephens is un... That the position of the Premier's candidate in Port Stephens is untenable. Premier Gladys Berejiklian said she wanted respect on the campaign trail and reminded the media that Labor's Deputy Premier Penny Sharp had to issue an apology weeks ago for a tweet. Blah, 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 blah. So it starts there, and then you have then you have an ex-Liberal MP. Departed MP Scott McDonald calls for Liberal Party to expel anyone who knew about Port Stephens' Facebook trolling. Former Liberal Upper House MP says anyone who knew about the Facebook trolling scandal in Port Stephens should be kicked out of the party. Liberal candidate Jamie Abbott and Hunter Judy MLC Catherine Cusack became embroiled in the controversy in February when sitting MP Kate Washington asked Facebook and the Clerk of Parliament to investigate what she suspected were fake accounts being operated by one of Ms Cusack's staff members. Blah, 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 blah. I believe anyone with knowledge of the Facebook trolling should be kicked out of the party. There's no room for that sort of behaviour or anyone condoning that behaviour. Well, Scott, I hate to break it to you, mate, but things have changed. So this perhaps lies covering knowledge or the campaign doing it independently of the MPs. But this is the Queensland Times. LNP leader duped by fake Facebook account. With a federal election just around the corner, be careful what you believe on social media. The lesson was highlighted this week when a Facebook post masquerading as an account connected to the Australian union movement garnered attention with a misogynistic post aimed at outgoing Cabinet Minister Callie O'Dwyer. Leader of the Queensland Liberal National Party, Deb Frecklington, then took to Twitter to share a screenshot of the post. I don't care about your politics. This treatment of a female politician is totally unacceptable. Calling on the Premier and the Deputy Premier to show some leadership and call out this disgusting behaviour today, she wrote. Liberal candidate for Port Stephens, Jamie Abbott, also shared it on her Facebook page, writing, I try to be consistently positive with my online presence, but seeing this kind of content really frustrates me. The post from Union News Australia was posted online and left up all day today, she lamented. Let's just have, we'll just have a look for argument's sake. So this is, okay. So this is the 22nd of January, whereas the other one was in March. So you've got you've got this <clears throat> Jamie Abbott, for some reason, being the the spokesperson from the Liberals, calling this out. And then you have a couple months later, she's caught doing the same thing, or her staff is caught doing the same thing, or she's caught doing the same thing, and she's blamed it on her staff, or they're both caught, or something. Either way, that's bullshit. So there was also <clears throat> WeChat. 
So this is uh, this is in uh, in May, a bit further along. Labor calls on PM to rule out Liberal Party involvement in fake WeChat posts. With less than a fortnight to go until the federal election, reports have surfaced of political misinformation from unidentified sources spreading on Chinese social media app WeChat. <clears throat> Labor wants the Prime Minister to rule out any Liberal Party involvement in fake posts with doctored accounts on Chinese social media platform WeChat. The accounts are spreading misinformation about Labor's federal election campaign, which senior opposition figure Penny Wong says are deeply concerning. Posts target Labor policies on issues such as safe schools, taxes, asylum seekers and the economy. The Labor Party decided to implement same-sex education safe schools if they win the election on 18th of May. For our children, don't vote Labor. Can't vote Labor. One post which emerged on WeChat last week states. Another post complete with the caption, Green Cards for All Refugees, Share Australia's Prosperity, has circulated since 2016. Some of the anti-Labor material can be traced back to Liberal Party members, the Herald Sun reported, the, sorry, Sydney Morning Herald reported on Tuesday. This is not what we do in Australia. We have robust political debates. No, we do not. We don't have major political parties engaging in fake news on this media platform or any other media platform, Senator Wong told reporters in Geelong. It is incumbent upon Scott Morrison to rule out any Liberal Party involvement in the malicious false content that is circulating on WeChat. <clears throat> The Senator said Parliament had passed foreign interference laws to ensure there was no interference in Australians' elections. One public account posting the anti-Labor comment was misleadingly registered under the name of Nines of the Australian Financial Review. Reducing the input of refugees, carefully selecting refugees and zero tolerance for refugees with special beliefs and bad backgrounds will gradually reconcile the current refugee problem. Otherwise, the call for the next Hitler will only become louder and louder. The fake account posted. <clears throat> Another post includes a tweet purporting to be from Labor leader, Labor leader, Labor leader Bill Shorten, saying immigration of people from the Middle East is the future Australia needs. To operate an official account on the WeChat app, the account holder needs to be registered in mainland China. The owner of this particular account can be traced back to Shanghai. Both Mr. Shorten and Scott Morrison have WeChat accounts. The platform has become an important tool for parties seeking to woo electorates with a high number of Chinese-Australian voters. Labor has written to WeChat parent company Tencent about this concerns over malicious and misleading content and fake news. But Michael Jensen, a political communication and technology researcher from the University of Canberra, said it's unlikely the party will have much success. <clears throat> It's interesting. So last year, the Australian Electoral Commission created a formal set of protocols which makes clear it expects social media uh, sites, Facebook and Twitter, to respond to its notifications of illegal ads by either removing or blocking the post or by passing on the details of the creator of the ad to the Australian Electoral Commission. <clears throat> okay. All right, and for some reason this next little bit didn't record any audio, so I'm just going to freeze frame on this and put this cool effect over the top of it, and I'll have to just do a bit of a voiceover. So all this stuff isn't all, and the other front is probably the one everyone's most familiar with in this context. That is, of course, the culture war. Try that again. So this is from Media Watch. And let's just, just have a, a watch and then we'll discuss. Exclusive. School whitewash. Primary students given a lesson in hating cops. 
That was The Daily Telegraph's front page on Wednesday, featuring provocative posters at Sydney's Lindfield Learning Village School, responding to the Black Lives Matter movement, with the Education Minister and The Telegraph making it clear what they thought inside the paper. Lesson in how to brainwash. A furious Education Minister warned teachers political activism has no place in classrooms after a Sydney primary school displayed student-made posters emblazoned with the words, Stop Killer Cops! and pigs out of the country. And the power of the telly had everyone wanting a piece of the story. In the early hours, reporters for Seven and Nine were dispatched to the then dark and empty campus to rehash the paper's scoop. Today, Sydney reporter Gabrielle Boyle is at the school in Lindfield. Gabby, the Education Minister says there's no place for politicising our primary schools. Let's go live to Seven News reporter Samantha Bread in Sydney with the details. Sam, what did the signs actually say? Eddie, good morning. Well, according to reports in the Daily Telegraph this morning... And it wasn't just the Education Minister who was mad. The Police Minister fronted cameras for Seven and Nine to express his outrage too. We don't have a race problem here in Australia, uh, and these left-wing academics who are we're quite happy to say every time an Australian soldier sets foot overseas that it's not our war, well, well, this isn't our war. This is nothing short of indoctrination, and it will eventually put these kids' lives at risk because when they're in trouble, they won't know who to turn to. Now, you might have thought a minister declaring Australia does not have a race problem would have prompted a follow-up or two from the Sunrise Pair. You might also have thought blaming the school for indoctrination when it was the kids that came up with the slogans was a trifle unfair. In a letter to parents, Principal Stephanie McConnell apologised to those offended and said the issue should have been handled differently. But she also clarified how the posters came about. As part of their critical thinking, students were asked to write down all the issues they have heard from the mainstream news, other information sources or commentary. The comments on the posters were not taught to students. Lindfield Learning Village, we're told, is an experimental state school backed by the New South Wales Education Department with a more flexible curriculum and laxer rules than most. And local parents are queuing up to send their kids there. But on 2GB, New South Wales Upper House member and One Nation State Leader Mark Latham demanded it be pulled into line. It sounds like it's a sinkhole for leftist ideological teaching. Uh, I think we've got to do more than sack the teacher. I'd also sack the principal who's lost control of this school. And I would close down the experiment as failed and send it back to being a normal school. Mark Latham has made attacking political correctness, especially in schools, his primary political agenda. His latest aim is to pass new laws banning discussion of gender fluidity in classrooms, which drew protests at hearings in state parliament last Tuesday. So, the telly story on Wednesday landed at just the right time. Almost like Latham had orchestrated it, which he says he did. As you can see from this exchange in the committee hearing after the paper landed. You refer to the Daily Telegraph, um, the Reader's Digest, I think, of facts. No, no, I uh, refer to the poster that I gave the Telegraph. So I've seen the poster, OK, pictures of the poster. So it's, so it's Mark Latham and the Daily Telegraph, that well-known yes, impeccable sources. The impeccable sources, decisions. but it's a serious issue. Impeccable sources indeed. Latham wasn't just quoted in the story, he helped create it by sending the images to the telly, which duly put the story on the front page. And this was not a first. Latham, the former Labour opposition leader turned firebrand commentator turned One Nation politician, works hand in glove with the telly on a regular basis, either feeding them stories or providing the necessary outrage to make them work. Like this one, last month. One Nation MP Mark Latham said political voodoo theories such as white privilege and unconscious bias were not only confusing children but destroying the innocence of childhood. 
or this one in February about racial training for the Governor-General's staff. New South Wales Upper House MP Mark Latham said unconscious bias did not exist. Or this one about gender classes in childcare three days earlier. Mark Latham called the lessons ridiculous and said sexual fluidity was totally inappropriate for kids of such a young age. And a week after that, Latham was fuming about Sydney University's decision to turn its logo shades of rainbow. Latham said the move was another example of a bloated, indulgent, out-of-touch higher education system. And in January, it was all about political correctness in comedy. Latham agreed that social media had become medieval in judging people by how they look, the identity politics of race, gender and sexuality. We looked back through every Telegraph this year, and of the 116 editions of the paper, we found that 25 quoted the state's One Nation leader, or more than one in five. Not bad for a state upper house crossbench politician. And how does his score compare to some others on the crossbench? Well, the two Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party members have scored four tele-mentions between them all year. And the two Animal Justice Party members, just one. The same for Fred Nile from the Christian Democrats and independent Justin Field. Yup, it is quite a record. No one generates outrage and stories quite like One Nation's Mark Latham. I mean, that's, that's your sort of prime example there. One thing I've noticed, right, <clears throat> since following uh, as much right-wing media as I could as well as other media, is that the people that are obsessed with cancel culture is the right-wing media. I mean, it's very much a made-up issue. Like, these things generally have valid reasons and they're completely distorted to look like something else. Like, for example, that where kids were just asked to write down the, you know, the gist of what they're getting from the media. And then those same media outlets then cry outrage that this is what's being taught in schools. When it's like, no, actually, you, you guys are teaching this to kids at home. So I thought, so they mentioned that, you know, a whole bunch of issues that he's, uh, you know, had a hand in or whatever. Um, but I found some other ones. So there was this, uh, the Cook Hotel thing. Uh, if you cast your mind back to that, where the Cook Hotel, the James Cook Hotel was changing the name to the Cook Hotel. The Daily Telegraph made a big, uh, big hoo-ha about it, and uh, um, you know about them cancelling James Cook, and it was a massive, it was a massive thing. I think it was like close to front page, um, it's like a headline article for like days in a row. Even while this owner of this business is denying it and saying it's not, we're not cancelling James Cook. We're just doing a rebrand. It's still called James Cook. It's just that the, the branding's changing to just just cook or whatever. He just kept coming out and denying it and then they just kept Ben Fordham, kept doing it and then Mark Latham jumped on the bandwagon and kept going. Um, Coon Cheese was another one recently where, uh, where you, you know what happened. They changed their, their name and there was a big outrage about it and the guy that um, lobbied that was an uh, Aboriginal bloke who his reasoning was, Surprise, surprise, uh, it's racist. Um, now, the thing that most people say 
to refute that, including myself, was like, well, no, but it's the founder of the company's um, surname. So, you know, it's not racist. It's named after the guy that made Coon Cheese. Um, but it's actually not. It's, uh, it's named after, so the guy, Coon, whatever his, whatever his name is, um, he actually invented a process for making cheese. Right, so the claim is that it's named after this guy who invented this process for creating cheese, but this guy, the guy who's claiming it's racist, his argument against it was that coon cheese doesn't use that process to make their cheese. They use a different process. So how does that make sense? Um, Which is a fair, a fair argument, I think. And they agreed, clearly, so they changed their name. Mark Latham then um, spread this meme around about how they're cancelling Paul's white milk. And that just, the fake news spread like wildfire. And that was just made up by Mark Latham. So his tentacles are in, are in heaps of this cancel culture stuff, right? There's another one as well that I've got, actually. Uh, a recent one. A man who staged a lone march through the city on Anzac Day has been revealed to be an anti-vaccine COVID lockdown protester. Michael Darby wasn't wearing a mask and was stopped by police, but he's escaped without a fine. A mystery unknown soldier, a lone hero, a war veteran who decided to make a stand and march on Anzac Day without a mask and despite Perth's strict lockdown. And he's just started walking down St George's Terrace. That's how Michael Darby was described by Perth's daily newspaper on its front page. Wrong. Someone uh, looked at the CCTV footage and saw this old fellow staggering along wearing a couple of medals and wrongly assumed that those medals were re referred to, uh, to, to combat. Mr Darby is in fact a long-time political protester and campaigns against COVID restrictions. Resist! Rebel! And so it turns out that this guy's a one nation staffer, right? So you might be thinking, what does it, what does that matter? Like, who cares? Just ignore it and it'll go away. Don't even talk about it. Pretend it's not there. Everyone will come to their senses and realize how bullshit it is or whatever. Well, the problem is this. This has been a day to remember, a day to appreciate who's actually running the joint because today we learnt that Australia's Prime Minister will stand up against identity politics and cancel culture. Now, you might think, well, it's about time, and I reckon you'd be right. In fact, some of what's come from Scott Morrison's mouth this year has seen him straddling both sides of the fence. But at a time when our culture and history is being redacted, revised and eradicated more than ever, we need every fist in the fight. Speaking at a United Israel charity function last night, the PM said, at the heart of our Judeo-Christian heritage are two words, human dignity. If you see the dignity and worth of another person, you're less likely to disrespect them, insult or show contempt or hatred for them, or seek to cancel them as is becoming the fashion for some. And that's the problem, right? So you know, you're, you're a someone who might you maybe follow, maybe you follow a couple of uh, right wing 
media outlets, um, just um, amongst everything else. And, you know, you don't really care about politics, you don't pay too much attention, you're sort of on the peripherals, but you you do hear about this this uh, this invasion to destroy our culture that is happening from the left and they want to tear down everything that makes this country great and this is a big problem, this is an all-out assault and it's just happening again and again and again and thank God Mark Latham's bringing this to light and blah, 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 and then you see they're, they're hitting you with, with that again and again and again and then all of a sudden, wow, the Prime Minister is standing up to this very serious problem and thank God we've got the right guy in the job, you know, less than 12 months out from an election, thank God. And that's where it gets dangerous because you mix that as well with the way that um, Scott Morrison plays the media. Uh, I've got a little clip, uh, Michael West um, uploaded just a short clip from an excerpt of a friendly Geordie's uh, interview um, where this kind of um, system was explained. So I'll just play that. And that's seen every day. Mm. The uh, media releases, uh, the favoured uh, press gallery in Canberra together, uh, and even The Guardian now joins in because if you want to get the story, you've got to play the game. Mm. And the game is to tell the government story in a favourable way. And that's why so many people are just shit or shut off with the media in this country and why they turn to, you know, your, to YouTube and other outlets because they quite rightly just don't trust mainstream media in the country. So there you go. So Scott Morrison controls the narrative. He gives, he does that by, by uh, having sort of like exclusive relationships to the political editors at all the uh, big outlets, and he drip feeds them stories, so they have the story first. So they rush to print because they know there's a whole bunch of other outlets that have the same story. <clears throat> it means that they don't scrutinise it. They just basically print the government's words. So we got an idea here then of, uh, of where my head's at and the direction that I want to go in. So over the next um, few episodes of this, we're going to sort of um, spend spend an entire episode focusing on um, a bunch of different aspects and we're going to learn um, about the different layers to this kind of stuff, where it comes from, um, how it's been used in the past, and then we can start looking at examples of this stuff happening here and um, start looking at where it's come from and maybe why as well. But I don't have that answer, that answer yet. Maybe someone does that. So, um... Yeah, thanks for watching. I did, wherever you're watching this, just like the thing and subscribe to this page or channel or whatever and uh, and keep your eye on up and, and I'll be back next week. 
uh, with a bit of a deep dive on something to do with this. 